continue our study and <clears throat> it's going to work out all right because um, we've got 10 lessons and so the 24th will be the 10th uh, lesson on this. And we're talking about the believer's authority and uh, it's, uh, you know, I believe it's one of those subjects that are so important um, that if we don't have uh, an understanding of that authority, we, we don't walk in what's truly been made available to us. And so we've been, we've been looking at it from a lot of different angles, and tonight anyway, we want to begin uh, by uh, talking about um, revival and uh, how um, the believer's authority has a part uh, to play in that. Uh, you know, when we think of revival, I think oftentimes we have kind of a misconception of what that really is, and uh, just makes you happy, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, but it's uh, we think of it from the standpoint of um, powerful spiritual events taking place, and that's part of it. But you know. Really, as believers, and I guess this is the aspect of it that I want us to look at, is that we ought to be we ought to be living a life of revival. It'd be a, it ought to be part of our our experience, you know, because really, when you think about revival, it means to revive something, and uh, you know, so uh, to revive something means that it has to have been asleep or it has to have been. Um, dead or passed out or, or something, you know, and so hopefully with our, our Christian life, we never get to that place where we, uh, we, we have to be revived, that we, we live a, a Christian life that's full of life. Although there, you know, I know there's times where we uh, have our ups and downs and we need that uh, time of refreshing and so forth. Uh, but we ought, we ought to be living a life that's, I don't know how to say it, other than full of life. And that's because of our relationship with Jesus. And so really when we, be, when we begin to talk about revival, oftentimes we think of it from the standpoint of a lot of salvations and so forth. And, and hopefully if we, we have events that are taking place, that ought to be a part of it. You know, but, but really, you know, when you, when you take the meaning of the word revival, it's, it's really talking about the church itself, that there be a stirring that's taken place, that we be filled full of life, that we move forward and, and so on and so forth. I believe it was last week we talked about, or maybe it was a few weeks ago, we talked about the need to identify where we are in the midst of things. And, uh, and so the first passage that I want us to look at tonight comes from First um, Timothy, the second chapter, and the fifth verse, and it's talking about how uh, <clears throat> under the new covenant we we really only have one mediator. We only need one mediator, and uh, that may, that mediator is Jesus Christ. And so, in the fifth chapter or fifth verse of First Tim Timothy two, it says, "For there is one God." and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And then if we just read on a little bit, it says, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified uh, in due time, which I 
was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher to the Gentiles of faith and truth. And so Jesus is the mediator. A mediator is one who, who, who stands between, who, who comes between. Um, you know, one, one translation or synonym of a, a mediator would be an umpire. You know, because the umpire, you know, between the offense and the defense, he's the mediator between the two. And so uh, Jesus is, is our mediator between God and man. You know, remember, uh, we, we've talked about the fact how because of sin, man was separated from God. Man didn't have a relationship with God because of sin. And, and God is holy, and because God is holy, um, he can't have anything to do with sin, with evil. You know, and I, and I, and I love that thought because... I think sometimes as believers, as even as believers, we have a hard time seeing ourselves as being holy. We have a hard time seeing ourselves as being sinless. I mean, we all sin, amen. We won't ask for a show of hands, you know, because they don't want to have to pray, have a prayer line for liars, because somebody inevitably wouldn't lift their hands. So we all we all we all sin, but we're not sinners because of what Jesus has done in our life. And, and I believe that one of the greatest proofs of that, because we all agree that God is holy, amen? That God cannot tolerate sin because he's holy. But think about this. God took up residence in our lives. The Bible says that we, as born-again believers, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God lives in us. And if God cannot tolerate that which is sinful, that which is unholy, how can we see ourselves as sinners? Because there's no way that he could take up residence in us unless he sees us positionally as being completely holy, being completely pure. Now, the significance of that is in, until we begin to see ourselves in that way, we'll never walk in it. You know, as long as we see ourselves as poor, miserable sinners saved by grace, you know, we, and, and the emphasis is always on poor, miserable sinner. And so if that's how we see ourselves, that's, that's the pattern that we'll have in our life. And so we'll, 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 we'll live it out. You know, words are, are, are so important. Attitude is so important. You know, many of us in our lives, we lived out self-fulfilled prophecy. You know, because we had been told we, we, we weren't going to amount to anything, that we weren't going to be successful, we weren't smart enough, this, that, or the other thing. And we came to believe that. And so our lives was a fulfillment of those words that were spoken over us. It was, it was ful the fulfillment of prophecy in a sense. And then when we find out, found out what Jesus Christ has truly done in our life, we begin to uh, get a new image of ourselves and we begin to see ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ. We, we begin to see ourselves as brand new creations. 
And as we begin to see that, we begin, we begin to walk that out. But we'll never do it until we begin to see it in our lives. We may not be experiencing it, but we need to begin to see it, calling those things that be not as though they were. And, and that begins with us. You know, it, it doesn't begin with calling ourselves well when we're sick. It begins by calling ourselves saints of God, believers, children of God, born again believers, brand new creations. When we begin to see ourselves that and we begin to speak that out of our mouths, that's when, when, when things begin to change. But you know what? Until we begin to do that, we'll never be able to experience it. And that's why a lot of Christians are still living, even though we're in a, a new covenant, even though we're, we're living in the New Testament, they, they still identify with the old covenant believer. And as a result of that, they still have this, this concept, this idea that God's mad at them. You know what the greatest revelation you'll ever get is when you figure out that God's not mad at you. Uh, we, we look at the old, look, look at this passage. Let's, let's look at Exodus, the 23rd chapter. Exodus, not the 23rd, the 32nd. And the 12th verse. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out <clears throat> to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And so he's, he's saying re repent from this fierce wrath. You know, re repent means change your direction. And so here what we see <clears throat> Moses is a mediator. Moses is interceding for the children of Israel. And he's, you know, there's a passage in Deuteronomy and it says, come let us reason together. And you know, for, for many years in my, my teachings on prayer, I would, I would use that as, as part of our um, teaching on prayer that come let us reason together oh Lord let us reason together and, and why do we reason it why, why is he reasoning with the Lord he's, he's trying to convince the Lord relent or repent of the wrath that you're going to bring on these people because he is ready to destroy them just wipe them off the face of the earth and he says well what are the Egyptians going to think that you because you couldn't deal with them you brought them out in the wilderness and so you you destroyed them. And so there, there's this reasoning that's going on. And so oftentimes we look at it and we, we think, well, we need to, uh, let, let's reason with the Lord. Come, let us reason together. But why do we, why, there, there's no longer any need for us to reason with the Lord because he's demonstrated, he's, he's showing us what his will for us is and his will for us is always for good. It's never for evil. It's never for destruction. You know what we don't ever have to worry about? 
We don't ever have to worry about God bringing death and destruction into our life. The thief has come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And our mediator has already interceded on our behalf. And because of our mediator's intercession for us, or standing in the gap for us, we now have perfect harmony and perfect fellowship with the Father. As a result of that, our sins, past, present, and future, have been taken care of for all of eternity. Now, we can, we can walk away from God. We can rebel against God. We can refuse to, to, to live according to His Word. And there's, there's all kinds of consequences that can come along with that. But it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us because we bring it upon ourselves. And of course, we don't like this. Kind of, we, we really don't like this kind of teaching because it makes us responsible. It's so much better when we can blame God for all our problems. But the truth of the matter is, we can't blame God for our problems because Jesus has taken care of everything. Now, a lot of what happens with us is a result of ignorance because we don't know what he's provided for us. Listen to this. This is how much God loves us. 14th verse, still in the same chapter. So God relented from the harm which he, he said he would do to his people. He relented from it. He, he repented from it. <clears throat> you know what? I believe that that was a very easy thing for God to do. Do you know why? Because judgment and bringing harm upon, it's, it's totally contrary to his nature. Because God's nature is love. Agape. Sacrifice for humanity. And so it was never his, his will. It's, it's just, man was just so nasty. You know, and of course, I believe he knows the end from the beginning anyway. <laughs> and so he's never going to do it in the first place. But there was a man that interceded. A man that stood in the gap. We have a much better intercessor. We have, we have Jesus. We have a perfect intercessor. Moses was still fallible. He was still imperfect. But our intercessor is, is perfect. Let's turn to, let's turn to Hebrews the seventh chapter, and <clears throat> you know, Hebrews the seventh chapter is one of those chapters that are really difficult because how do you read any of it without reading all of it? And so uh, I've come to the conclusion: we'll just read all of it. You know, um, <clears throat> so Hebrews the seventh chapter: For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, prince of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, uh, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning um, king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of Man, remains a priest continually. 
Now, concerning how great this man was and to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoil, and indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from the brethren, through, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not <clears throat> derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the, the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he received them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of the father of Melchizedek, met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for uh, another priest, uh, for another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek not <clears throat> and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being uh, changed of necessity, there was also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no man has officiated at his altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke, uh, <clears throat> nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life, for he testifies. You're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For <clears throat> on the one hand, there is an, an, an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. See, the law was weak because the law was not able to bring change into our lives. All that the law could do is reveal to us a need for change. <laughs> You know, one of the most aggravating things in the world is people that, that tell you you need to do something that you know that you need to do that you haven't been able to do. Thank you for that one amen, Donna. But I mean, it, it, is, it is so aggravating when people tell you what you need to change. And you know you need to change it, but you haven't been able to change it. And so really, what the law was, was an aggravation. Because the law revealed to you what you needed to change. But you weren't able to change. But you wanted to change. But you weren't able to change. Now, it sounds like I'm putting down the law. I'm not putting down. I love the law. Because if it hadn't been for the law, 
I wouldn't have recognized my need for a savior. The law revealed to me that I couldn't do it on my own. The law revealed to me I needed a savior. The law revealed to me I couldn't keep those commandments that had been passed down from generation to generation that I needed a savior. And thank God I found one, the only one, the one Jesus Christ. Um, I have no idea where I stopped. 17, okay, 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Into the law, through the law, you didn't draw near to God. If the law did anything, it, it brought separation because it revealed how, <laughs> how pathetic we were. And you know, what it did was it created this, this sense of unworthiness. I don't, I don't deserve the blessings of God. You know, I don't deserve the blessings of God. I'm so thankful I don't get what I deserve. <clears throat> Thank God for grace, because I don't get what I deserve. I get what I don't deserve. I get to experience the love of God. I get to experience the goodness of God. I get to experience the, the forgiveness of God. Whew, man, we could just stop right there and go home and be happy all night because of the goodness of God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath. For they have become priests without an oath. But he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of the better covenant. Whoa. By so much more. What's our assurity? Jesus. Why? Because he's a mediator. Every time we mess up, Jesus is on our side. Every time we fall short, Jesus is on our side. And so he's the assurity of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were uh, prevented by death from continuing. In other words, they died. Every one of those, every one of those priests that came down the Levitical um, lineage, every one of them died. But we have a mediator, we have a priest that lives on forever. His name is Jesus. Every one of them, um, uh, they died. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, forever, today, and forever. He doesn't ever change. What his will for us is, what he's representing before God, it doesn't ever change. Therefore, he is, a, is also able to save to the utmost. <laughs> I like that. To the utmost. I mean, as much as we can be saved, we're saved through him. There's no, there's no 
getting saved above what Jesus has done for us. You know, it's a slap in his face when we have this attitude that what Jesus has, did, what Jesus has done isn't enough. And you know, a lot of, a lot of people have that attitude. They, they have this attitude, I've got, to do, I've got to do something, I've got to do more. And in a, in a sense, what they're saying is what Jesus has done isn't enough. And so we're not going to get through this tonight. And so you're going to have to study this all on your own because we've got three more weeks and I've got three more lessons. And so that means there's no carryover. So, so you've got you to gotta study it for yourself. Therefore, he is also, I didn't know this was, I was going to get, anyway. Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him since he also lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us. Who is holy, blameless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself for the law appointed as high priests men who have weaknesses but the word of the oath which came from the law appointed the Son who has been perfected forever. That's our Jesus. That's the one who intercedes for us. That's the one that's in the gap for you and I. Let's turn over to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. The 10th verse. We won't read the whole chapter, although we probably very easily could have. The 10th verse. By, what, <clears throat> by, that we, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offers repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for the sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are, not, <clears throat> are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified by one offering forever. You know, I, I, I'm just, I'm just blown away by the Jew wannabes. I, I, I don't understand. My, my brain cannot encompass it. Why? 
Do you want to go back to some old sacrifice, some ritual, when we have what we just read here? This says that Jesus fulfilled it. This says that Jesus completed it. This says that it's done for all of eternity. It's been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Why, in any way, shape, or form, we want, would we want to revert back to the past? I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. They say, I don't understand. I agree with them. I don't understand. Because it makes absolutely no spiritual sense to revert back to something that Jesus fulfilled for us. That's not part of my lesson, and so <clears throat> if it ticks you off, just ignore it. But I don't understand it. What we have in Christ Jesus is so marvelous. It's so beyond our ability to describe, to understand with our, our pea brains. But yet, we want to say that we know better than God. You know why? Because we want to do something. You know what the biggest problem with Christianity is? True Christianity. You know what the biggest problem with it is? We don't get to do anything. We don't get credit for anything because it was all done through Jesus. And so all we can do is trust him and acknowledge that he's done it all. But see, that goes totally contrary to what we as human beings, what we want to do. We, we want to be all sufficient. We want to, we want to get credit. We want, to, we want the notches. But all of them belong to Jesus because we can take credit for absolutely nothing. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Well, we really have to read verse 15, 17 to go along with that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things, all things have become new. Now all things are in God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation through Christ Jesus, our mediator, we have been reconciled to God. There's no problem between you and, you and God. God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. God is, has only good for you and me. And then if that isn't enough, it goes on to say, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That doesn't mean that we are now mediators, but we have the privilege of introducing people to the mediator, Jesus, who made a way for them to come into the kingdom. Wow. 
Then verse 18. Now all things are of God. I guess I just read that. 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not, not imputing their sins to them. Who? The world. Not imputing their sins to them, to me. My sins have not been imputed towards me and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. In other words, that was all laid on Jesus. He took it all for me. It's, it's all about Jesus. You know, and so we're talking about believer's authority. For us to walk in the authority that belongs to us through Christ Jesus, we need this revelation. Because if we don't, we try to, we try to exert authority in our own strength, in our own ability, because of, of something that we've heard rather than something that we know. You know, we have the, the account of the seven sons of Siva. Is that how it's pronounced? You know, many of you have heard this story, but we know I'm not above repeating my stories. <clears throat> but but this, is, this is many years ago. It was back when there were still some little cottages across from the fairgrounds. And one night I got a phone call in the middle of the night. And uh, the person on the other end says, uh, are you a pastor? And I said, yes. And he says, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you tonight. Well, I was much younger then and uh, ignorant, er, and, uh, and so I, I went by myself. Just I mean, it's like two in the morning or something like that. I don't remember. And so what happened was I'm, I'm, I go to there and I'm, I'm talking to this guy and he'd just come to town that day and, and he is sitting in the bowling alley drinking and thought, you know, this isn't, what I should be doing. I wanted to get a fresh start, so he started walking home, and I don't know where this phone is, but he, he walked by a phone. I, I think it was like a, in a phone booth or something, so it tells you how far back that was. And, and uh, he just, he dialed a number, and it was my number. Now, that should be a clue right there, that get, leave. You know, but I, but I didn't. And so he, he starts telling me this stuff, and so I, I finally says, well, let's pray. And so I started praying, and as I'm praying, he starts breathing. <laughs> I'm thinking, let's, let's not do that. You know, and, uh, uh, but anyway, he, he, his eyes start to roll back in his head, and, and uh, I, I know what we're dealing with at this point, and I'm not enjoying this very much. And so eventually he gets up, and he goes over to this cabinet, and I say, what are you doing? And He's going, huh, huh, huh. and he, he takes this bottle of aspirin. I mean, it's a big bottle of aspirin, and he try, starts trying to take the lid off, and I said, no, don't, don't do that. You know, and he, he's, huh, huh. and so I, I, I tried to get him to stop it, but he wouldn't stop it, so I finally threw my arms around him, gave him the old bear hug, and he's going, huh, huh, huh. you know, and oh. And so finally I threw him on the bed and he pops off of the bed and I throw him on the bed and he pops off the bed and I throw him on the bed and so the third time I jump on top of him. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm binding, I'm loosing, 
anything that I've ever heard about what you do with the demon, I'm doing it. You know, I, every, anything that I can think of. And, and, uh, and it, it's, it's really an unbelievable experience, you know, <clears throat> you know, because out of your spirit is, is coming this authority. And in my head, I'm thinking of the seven sons of Siva because they tried to cast a demon out and the, the demon responds, you know, Paul we know and the Jesus he speaks of we know, but who are you? And so they went running out of the house naked. And so I've got this image of running down Main Street, Jefferson, Iowa at three o'clock in the morning. You don't want to see the image. And, uh, and so finally, you know, he, he calmed down and he's laying there and he opens his eyes and he looks around and he says, uh, what are you doing? And so I thought, you know, time to get off, you know, you know, but he remembered none of it. Didn't remember. I mean, I talked to him later on. He, he never remembered any of that going on. And so. This is what I'm saying. The, the seven sons of Siva knew about Jesus. We don't want to know about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. When we get into a, a, a crisis situation, I don't want to know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And so spiritual authority works as we know Jesus and know what Jesus has done for us. In your notes, it's, it's, it's John 19, 30, but it, it's just simply when Jesus is on the cross and he says it's finished. And the, the, the significance of that is Jesus finished it all. It's done. It's accomplished. And so we now are able to, to walk in it. You know, I started out talking tonight about, you know, revival and the importance of revival and the, and, and the significance of revival. But what I want us to see is what we identify with as revival is what Jesus says we ought to walk in every day of our life. Um, look at this in, in Mark 16. Verse 20. Well, let's, let's back up to verse 15. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents if they drink anything deadly. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now dropping down to the 20th verse. And they, the disciples that he is speaking to, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What were the accompanying signs? Praying in tongues, casting out demons, um, laying hands on the sick, uh, nothing evil harming them. And so I have a feeling if there's a church and that is going on, what would people say? They'd say, 
that church is in revival. We hear about a church across the country and, and people are getting healed and people are, you know, getting baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues and people are getting saved and, and devils are being cast out. What would everybody say? That church is in the midst of revival. But you know what Jesus says? He says, that's to be the daily life of we as believers as we pre preach the word of God. And he says, that word is going to be confirmed by signs following. And so we need to turn our expectors on. We need to, rather than try the, to, to find some meeting that we can send somebody to, we need to preach to them and we need to lay hands on them and see them recover because Ultimately, it's, it's, not, it's not us, it's not me. It's not uh, the preacher that we go to. It's Jesus. And that anointing is upon each and every one of us in Acts 4.29. Here we have the early church, right, right after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it says, now God, <clears throat> now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants, this is Acts 4, this is after, you know, the, there's all the persecution and everything that's coming against the believers. And they're not asking, set us free from the persecution. Listen to what he says, what they say. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out their hand to heal and signs and wonders may be done through the name of your, of your holy servant Jesus. Well, his holy servant Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father God on high. What's he talking about? No, it's through us. Because that holy servant Jesus works through you and me as we recognize the authority that we have as a believer in Christ Jesus. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, the 18th verse. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, that all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance, this is Paul, that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now this is Paul that's saying that. And if Paul is praying, I mean, it, it, it appears to me that that Paul is one of the boldest individuals that ever walked on the face of the earth. Nothing, nothing shut him down. You know, armies could be there to arrest him and it didn't, it didn't shut him down. They had to drag him out. Crowds didn't stop him. The dude was bold. But what does he pray? He says, don't, don't pray that I'm re released from these chains. Pray that I might speak boldly so basically he's saying, pray that I might have the boldness to preach the gospel no matter what the circumstances are in my life. 
And that's how, how, how we ought to approach it. In Romans 1.16, Paul's saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone too who believes, for the Jews first, and also for the Gentiles. And so, for everybody. And so, you know what? We don't have to be selective who we preach to. We just need to, to preach. Romans 10. I, I know I'm going through these passages pretty quick, but, you know, I've got through two pages and I got eight left. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless he be sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What are glad tidings of good things? The gospel and everything that goes with it. Verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what is, what is this talking about? This is talking about living the life, a life of revival. You know, I, I, I think about Ron Hart Monkey. You know, and uh, the guy preaches to the masses. But you know, he doesn't just preach to the masses. He'll, he'll preach to one individual. And uh, the, the guy is just full of life. And it's because of revival that is constant in his life. And so it needs to be that constant thing in our lives as well. In Acts 2, 38 and 39, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. We're, we're in that far off. We're, we're part of that, that crowd. But you know what? He's not saying you get saved and your children are going to be saved. He's, he's saying this gospel is available to each and every one who will hear, who will receive, who will walk in it. We need to be so consumed with the gospel. You know, I heard, and I'm sure you've heard it too, preachers or individuals say, you know, you just got to be careful. You got to be careful. And I'm thinking about this because I'm, I'm beginning to think we need to preach more on the rapture, you know, so we have something that we're longing for in our life. I think a lot of people are just drudging it through day by day, but we've got something so exciting that's, that's before us and, and something so exciting between now and then. But, um, oh, I, I forgot for a moment what I was gonna say. You know, <clears throat> but I, I've heard people say, well, you know, Pastor, you gotta be careful because 
People can get so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Well, I ain't met that person yet. Because if we've got any issue that we're dealing with is that we're not heavenly minded. We're so bound to this earth that the earth controls, it, it dominates, it dictates to us everything that we do. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying us because I'm included in that. And uh, because we're not focused on heavenly things. You know, Pentecost was all about us being his voice, being witnesses in both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And, and, he, and he said that this, 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 this authority that we would receive when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to, to make us more effective at fulfilling the plan of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit wasn't just so that we could now be tongue talkers and so now we can lock ourselves up in our little closets and we can just pray in tongues all day long and, and just feel so wonderful about ourselves after the fact because, you know, I, I spent an hour and a half today praying in, the, in tongues, praise the Lord. What we're really saying is praise me. You know, well, I, I'm not making a lot of that because if, if that's what the Holy Ghost is telling you to do, then, then, then be obedient and do it. But then after you've done that for an hour and a half, go out and do what the Holy Ghost telling you to do in that hour and a half that you were praying. You know, that always goes over real big. You know, you know but, it, but it goes back to, you know, and, 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 and I'm not anti-praying. I'm not anti praying in the Holy Ghost. I, I believe in praying in the Holy Spirit. I, I believe <clears throat> no matter how long, how much time we spend praying in the Holy Ghost, we don't spend enough time praying in the Holy Ghost. But it's not a substitute for doing the work of God. The work of God is being a preacher. The work of God is sharing the good news and, and, and being obedient and not being afraid to lay hands on the sick and, and see them recover and all those wonderful things that he's called us to do. You know, it all comes back to the word, believing the word, acting upon the word. I believe that that's what revival is. I, I, I believe it's an absolute impossibility to have revival without revelation of the word. And oftentimes the reason, you know, and that, that can be my part, part, part fault, my, the, the pastor's fault, you know, because uh, people aren't receiving the revelation, but it's the revelation of the word that empowers us uh, to move forward. You know, I think of the Reformation, you know, Martin Luther, one man. Just think about that. You know, I know there were a lot of other personalities that were involved in the Reformation, but it began with Martin Luther with one revelation. Romans 3, 27. Where is the boasting then? Where is, where is, uh, is it uh, excluded? 
By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You're justified because of what Jesus has done for you. And of course, I'm sure you've heard you know, the definition that uh, people have used for justification. It's just as if you've never sinned. That's how Jesus looks upon you. But because you're justified, you have the authority. As a believer, you have the authority to walk out, to do everything that Jesus has called us to do. He, he's, he's done it all. John 14, 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, Jesus is speaking, the works that I do, he'll do also. And greater works than these he shall do because I go to the Father. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that that's not talking about quality. We, we can't do anything better than Jesus did it. I believe he's talking about quantity. We can do the greater works because Jesus in his earthly ministry was limited. He walked as a man so he could only be in one place at a time. You know, we, at least 20 of us here tonight, that means that we can be in 20 different places at the same time preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just think if it was, if we, if we were still dependent upon Jesus in the flesh, we would either be hearing preaching here or they'd be hearing it down, down in Honduras. It couldn't take place at both places at the same time. But you know what? Jesus is able to minister at both places at the same time because he has vessels that he's able to work through. I ran over, forgive me in the name of Jesus. Go in peace in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Be blessed.